So, uh, so let's open tonight with prayer. And I, I know we're kind of in already, probably 20 minutes in, but um, we'll, we'll try to get through this. It won't be too long tonight. Um, but let's open with prayer and uh, ask Brother Kibble if you lead us in prayer tonight and ask the Lord just to have his way with him in the church. Lord, you're Jesus, in your mighty name, we thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to be in your presence tonight, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you, Lord, for every man in this room tonight, God. I ask you, Lord, if you would right now in Jesus' name, God, the power is tonight, God, with your scripture, Lord. Challenge us, Lord God, I pray right now. God, if you would, Lord God, that you would convict us, Lord, of anything wrong in our life, Lord Jesus. Let your word, God, take us to a place, God, where we grow in you, Lord. We thank you for it right now in Jesus. God, have your way in this room tonight, Lord God. Have your way to be family representative in every life, Lord Jesus. God, help us to grow strong as men right now, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So tonight we're talking about the foundation of, of noble manhood. So let's obviously establish what noble even means. Uh, it's from the Latin word nobilis, meaning noted or highborn. Uh, suggests excellence or superior quality, having or showing fine personal qualities or high moral principles or ideals. Uh, and I would pray that we, that we all have high moral principles in this place tonight. Um, General George S. Patton said this, it was, he wrote this on the eve of the North African campaign in World War II. He said, in 40 hours I shall be in battle with little information. And on the spur of the moment we'll have to make the most uh, momentous decisions. But I believe that one's spirit enlarges with responsibility and that with God's help. I shall make them and make them right. It seems that my whole life has been pointed to this moment, that when this job is done, I presume I will be pointed to the next step of the ladder of destiny. If I do my full duty, the rest will take care of itself. If I do everything I'm supposed to do, uh, everything that's set before you, um, you know, I, I never really got to hang around my, my grandpa, my, my mom's dad, uh, I was three months when he passed away, but I've been told throughout the years that uh, he his motto in life was, if you're going to do it, do it right, yeah. and do it right the first yeah. time. Um, you know, give, put your, your best foot forward. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's kind of, tonight I, I say to all of us, um, in everything we do, because I think everything we do, we do it unto God, uh, whether that be your job, you know, um, if you're going to, if you're going to work a job, be the best employee they have. Why? Because they're not just seeing you, but they're seeing the God that you claim that, that you live for. Um, you know, so they, they want to see something in you that's going to be different from the guy next to you that doesn't live this life. There needs to be something different inside of us. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's look here at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, it says, I charge, this is, this is Paul's, basically Paul's last chance. He's talking to Timothy. And this is kind of his last chance to reassure and provide like a final charge to Timothy. So Paul being the older, the elder, speaking to the younger Timothy, he's trying to give him direction and he's trying to encourage him and, and uh, he's trying to instill in him something that he, he needs to hear what he's getting ready to face. Um, so <clears throat> he begins to write this as these words just begin to pour out of him. He writes, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ 
who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So the apostle then, Paul, pauses and he begins to write again, says, but watch thou in all things. He says, watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist. And then he begins to write a little slower and he writes these words. He says, make full proof of thy ministry. Make full proof of thy ministry. So though, though the, the five verses in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 were written in the first century, they have, uh, they have relevance to us today. They have relevance to us as Christian men today uh, in this postmodern culture that we live in. And they also speak volumes to every, not just leaders, but to the men of the church. It speaks volumes to us. Make full proof of your ministry. What's your ministry? Your ministry who are you ministering unto? Your family? Yes. Make full proof of that. Do it with everything you have. So let's read here. In the last days on earth, before uh, being beheaded by the Roman Acts, the Apostle Paul wrote a, le- a, a personal letter to exhort and to encourage a son of the faith named Timothy. Although Paul wrote with Timothy in mind in the first century, God saw fit to preserve his words for centuries to come. Paul's challenge to Timothy is a call to all of us today. They are written as a solemn charge, as if the great apostle were pointing his finger directly at our chest tonight. Paul begins by saying this, I charge you before God. He's not just saying, this is not just me. You're not just doing this for me. And, and kind of like, I, I look at this as me as your pastor. You know, when I challenge this 100% month, you know, this is not me challenging you to be faithful to me. You should not be faithful to church just because the pastor. You know, it has to go beyond the pastor because, you know, what happens, I don't plan on this, but what would happen if tomorrow I'm not here anymore? What if I don't wake up tomorrow morning? You say, well, I'll just, uh, I'm going to quit going to church. Pastor's not here anymore. No, uh, I'm challenging us to be faithful because you simply want to be faithful unto God. That you know, you want to be faithful. I said this last night in prayer. When you're faithful unto God, that means you're faithful unto the body of Christ, which is us. It's the church. We have to be faithful to each other. You know, we, we don't want to you know forsake the uh, the fellowship, the assembling of of the body. The Bible tells us not to. So that's it's that important that it was mentioned that we should not forsake it. That we need to be together. Um, so we we need to make sure that what he he said, I charge you before God. And in other words, he said, I'm solemnly, solemnly urging you in the presence of God to do this. He said, I, I'm speaking this and I, I'm challenging you and basically I'm challenging you in, in front of God to do these things for the kingdom. So Paul could not have uh, more forcefully called Timothy to attention. He was saying that it were as Timothy, you will eventually stand before this one. You will stand before God to give account for your work. He will judge your motives. Let this be personal. And I listen to this. When I read this, I started reading it to myself personally. 
for me. He will judge you for your motives. He will assess your public ministry. He will evaluate your private life. And he will sift through the secrets of your soul. Therefore, heed the counsel that I'm about to give you. That's what Paul says to him. Because this is going to happen one day. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. And Paul's tell, that's when Paul, go on, Paul goes on to tell Timothy, preach the word. To stand and communicate to what God is speaking. Be prepared. Be on guard. Be instant in season and out of season. During the day and the night and in public and in private. Wherever you find yourself in life or whenever in whatever season you find yourself, bend your knee in the presence of your king and present yourself as an available agent. I'm available unto you. I think it's probably one of the greatest things that I learned as a young man is, you know, because I think a lot of times, as, as especially young ministers, you kind of see like, you know, you know there's a call in your life to do something, and I didn't know what it was, and, you know, I, I would say, well, I, I'll do this, or I'll help with the music, or, you know, I'll help over here. And, and I, I realized at one point is, you know what, I'm just as important when I am tearing down tables and chairs Amen. and cleaning up after an event. Yeah. Amen. And that really hit me when you know I was uh, I was a young youth pastor, and I was at an event, and the district superintendent of the district um, looked at me, and and I was standing there talking to friends, and the event was over, and people were tearing things down, and he was himself tearing tables down, and he walked over and put his hands on me and another young minister's shoulders, and he said, "Young men." You got my attention. He said, don't ever be too good to tear down tables and chairs. <laughs> and I, I, I checked myself in that moment, and I thought, okay, no one's above that. doesn't matter who you are, because that is ministry. And that shows us, you know, you, you look at Jesus to, you know, to serve one another. You, know, you go back to the story that in the Last Supper where he, he gets down, and he's washing the feet of his disciples, washing dust off their feet. You know, the crud from the road, he is telling them no one's above servanthood. This is ministry. This is ministry. When everybody, you know, I think everybody in here probably had a hand in in what we did over the weekend. Whatever you did, you were ministering to the people here. I mean, yeah, you said, well, no, Brother Carter did that. No, because if it wasn't for Brother Brian, who was willing to take out time to set up a sound system, Brother Carter couldn't have done what he did. If it wasn't for you willing to do some hot dogs on a grill, we wouldn't have had some food. You know, parking cars, safety. I mean, you just go and you go around the room. There's so much that everybody did. Every individual, every man was vital to do. You were in ministry, and I guess the point is just whatever we're doing, make sure we're doing it with everything we have. That we're we're giving. You know, the van ministry. You're giving everything you have to that whatever it be that you're you're make sure that you are you are just i want you to understand you're just as vital in the church as anyone who ever stands on the platform with a microphone in their hand you matter just as much well every man in here to know that especially in your homes because you set the atmosphere in your home long before you ever walk into this building and what you bring into this building is what you present at home and it makes a difference when you walk in on a Sunday and you've got your family focused. 
and they walk in focus ready to worship God. And you walk in here and you're ready to focus and do your ministry, whatever your ministry is, whether it be multimedia or podcast, your, your ministry alone touches people all over the world, Brother Ben. All over the world. Because he's willing to learn how to do podcasting and does it very well. So it's, it's very powerful to see whatever you do, do it with excellence and make sure we give everything into it. Um, <clears throat> all right, so he, he is saying here, um, Paul also says to Timothy, correct what is wrong. I love this. Correct what is wrong. What's he saying? Correct other people? Correct what is wrong in other people? No, he's also telling him, correct what is wrong in your own life. Let the word of God correct you. Repair the broken foundations. Keep the well of your heart full to the brim with wisdom. How do you do that? (coughs) Stay in the word of God. Don't let Sundays and Wednesdays be the only time you ever hear the word of God. Get in the word of God yourself. Open it up yourself. Uh, get yourself in, a, you know, in a, a habit of reading the Word of God. If you're a morning person, get up an extra you know, 10, 15 minutes early and sit down and, and do a morning devotion. There are tons of, of men's devotions out there. And, and you know, what, what I'll be sending you weekly, that'd be a great time to get up and start your day before you head out to work. Let the Word of God be planted in your heart. Um, considering this, stay spiritually alert, stay vigilant. How do you do that? Through prayer and through the Word of God. Do not be lured to sleep. Do not let this culture make you dull. Keep a clear mind. And he says, and I repeat, be watchful in all things. Be watchful in all things. Do not be afraid to suffer for the Lord. Be willing to sacrifice and put your neck on the line for righteousness. Stand up for what's right. Stand up for what's right. There is nothing wrong for you standing up for what is right. Um, I look at it this way. If someone was, if you were... If you were somewhere and, and someone was uh, some innocent person that could not defend themselves was being beat up, would you stand and watch? No. Because the right thing to do would be to try to save those who are being you know, beaten for no reason. It's the same thing that the world is beating up the, the individuals around us all the time and each other. Satan is coming after you. He wants nothing more but to rob you and your family. Of what you have. He wants your peace. He, he wants to take your joy. He wants everything. He wants to take everything away from you. The blessings of God from your life. He wants, to, he wants to rob you of those things. So who better to look out for each other than us right here? You know? Amen. And if you see a brother slipping into something, why would you not speak up and say something to him? Are you all right? I'm praying for you. You know, let, let's, let's get back on track. Um, you know, so that's one reason we're doing this right here. Um, you will not fit in with a culture descending into chaos. Uh, endure the afflictions that are to come. Live as an evangelist. Give yourself to witnessing. Work hard at telling others the good news about Jesus. All right. So <clears throat> as Paul, uh, the mission critical here, that as, as if Paul uh, has not already said enough, he concludes with five verses with the following phrase. He says, make full proof of thy ministry make full proof in paul's opinion this is timothy's most important task if all else is achieved yet this one thing left undone none of it would matter when viewing the full scope of our roles and responsibilities of men fulfilling this one directive is our highest priority as christian men living and leading in modern times this task is mission critical so um, so just a few more things. We're going to jump right down to this. So though the King James Version of the Bible uses the phrase make full proof of, the modern uh, translation of the Bible translates this phrase as complete 
or finish or fulfill one's ministry, mission, or calling. So for a man to make full proof of his ministry, he must preserve until it is done. That means you got to keep it up until it's done. Uh, until whatever God has placed in you or your talents or whatever it is God's called you to do, that you do it until the work is done. Um, he divinely designated duty must uh, be fully carried out. Uh, he must finish what he has been put on earth to do, and he must discharge all responsibilities of his calling. His aim must be to start well and to finish well, and he must stay in the ring and fight until the battle is won. All right, so I think uh, we, we so often uh, com- um, complicate the will of God. Jesus, however, had a very simple definition of the will of God. Everyone's heard, you know, find the will of God for your life. What's the will of God for my life? Um, I, had, I had a little pet peeve when I was at Lancaster I was youth pastoring they asked me to teach the, uh, the young adult class one time and there were some people that were taking trips vacations to go find themselves so they could find the will of God so I just looked at him and said when's the last time you found a prayer room I was never asked to come back and teach again. So, uh, but I said, if you find him, you will find his will. Um, you don't need to find yourself. Um, find him, and you'll find who you are supposed to be in him. So his de- his definition of success and fulfillment was in finishing what he has put you on earth to do. That's it. The objective of ministry was to reach the end of his earthly life without having lost grip on what was most important. So God's success and man's success looks different. So what the world tells you is success looks completely different. To climb that ladder, you know, you might, you know, you might run multimedia until you're completely white-haired, Brother Ryan. Until you can't do it anymore. (laughs) <laughs> but I mean you might you might do this the rest of your life and there's nothing wrong with that and you will grow in it because well you have to because there's different versions that come out computers and everything changes but you are willing to you have been since you've been doing this you're willing to find whatever I have to do to keep up with what I'm doing to make this ministry the greatest it can be and, and to me that is a calling on your life. You are ministering to the people of this church every time we come in here. You're ministering to our guests every time they come in they don't know a song and you're putting up lyrics and you're putting up you know sermon, you're putting up uh, scriptures. You are ministering. You know, so to to look at this to to fulfill what God has called you to do to be successful in his eyes is just to do that with excellence and to do it until he releases you from it. And it's the same thing with every man in here. You know, and, and, and we go above and beyond out of church ministry. Our first and foremost ministry starts at home. You know, and I, I, I said this when I first got here. Um, you know, I, I told the church when I first got here. I said, listen, God gave me my family long before he ever gave me this church. Yes, I will love you. I'll minister to you. I'll be there for you. You know, I will pass you. But God called me to shepherd them long before he did anybody here. So if I, and the Bible tells us, if, if, if we cannot shepherd those at home, we're not fit to shepherd those here. Mm-hmm. That's biblical. Amen. So 
that's the responsibility of us as men. We got to make sure that you know before we can minister to anybody else, we have to be able to minister to people at home. Uh, we have to be able to speak into their lives at home, uh, and and do that with you know, and that's where relationship with God comes in to do that with boldness. Uh, and when you hear from God, you hear from God, and God speaks something to you that you can speak that into your family and, and with boldness to say with confidence, the Lord spoke this to me. You know, maybe this is what we need to do. I know there there are men in this room that when it was time to give towards um, you know the first project that the Lord spoke some scary numbers to you. And uh, you went to your wife and you just, you spoke it boldly. You know, you weren't afraid. You spoke like, this sounds crazy, but this is what God said. And the crazy part was, it's a crazy, the amazing part was, is that God had spoken the same thing to her. So to operate in the authority God has given you, we, we need to do that. So, uh, so we have to make foolproof or finish our work wherever we are, uh, wherever we are placed to do this. Um, that we should uh, feel a sense of purpose in leading our household and providing for the needs of our house. Uh, we should believe that God is actively involved involved in every sector of our life, whether that be uh, our thought life, our married life, uh, the growth of our children, um, uh, your role in the service of, at church, your professional career, the quality of your friendships, uh, what you do for entertainment, um, the state of your finances, your education, hobbies, goals, dreams, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. All those things matter. We need to stay on top of those things as best as we can as men because it affects us, and we know that. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's look at this. The modern man should ask questions of himself such as this. Where is God leading me? Where is God leading me? And some of you tonight, you might know that question. You might know the answer to that question. Or what is God calling me to do? Maybe some of you already know that. Maybe you some of that. Uh, maybe some of you tonight are still trying to figure out exactly what that looks like. Uh, or what is God's word saying to me today? God's word will speak something to you today. Um, or how can I become the man that the people under my care need me to be? How can I become the man that my family needs me to be? The man of God that my family needs me to be. Would it, anybody? I mean, if it's all right, if you don't mind being just transparent with your brothers in the room, would any of you admit tonight that I could improve? Yeah, I could be a better leader in my home. Um, I I could use more spiritual authority than what I do. Um, maybe I hold back a little too much. Um, and I I think that all of us in here could raise our hands to say that. Um, <clears throat> so without a larger purpose guiding us, it is easy for, uh, for a man to get distracted and, and neglect healthy patterns of living. Um, as it has been said, what makes a river and most men crooked is the path of least resistance. Yeah. We, we need some resistance sometimes. So we see here, Paul, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's telling him, make full proof of your ministry. Basically, be everything you're supposed to be. Be strong, because he was warning him, there are things coming that are going to challenge you. He was telling him, there, there, is, coming, there is coming a generation that they're not going to want to hear what you have to say. And what you speak is truth. They're not going to hear it. That they're going to give their ears to false doctrine, because it's going to sound good. Itching ears. <coughs> you know, it's what you've heard me say. I, I don't want to preach messages this just tickle the ears of the people, right. but I want to, I, I want challenging words 
You know, I want you to be able to hear things that are going to challenge you and, and that are going to help you grow. And that's where resistance comes in, right? We've talked about it. You know, if, uh, you know, when the devil attacks, we feel like, oh, man, the devil's pushing back on us. It's pushing back. That's not such a bad thing because it forces you to, to push back. And it is in weightlifting, it's the resistance. Right? I mean, Brother Jack doesn't go and just lift the bar. You put weights on it for a reason. And the, the, the bigger you get, the more weight you put on. So it's the same thing here is that the resistance sometimes is not always a bad thing that you're feeling. But the resistance will force you to push harder. It'll push, force you to pray more. It'll force you to, to become that spiritual man that you need to be for your family. So don't always look at it as a bad thing that when that resistance comes, you know, it, it's, it's okay. It's just sometimes the Lord allows things to, to bring strength to who we are as men in the church. And that's, that's okay. Uh, it's all right to do that. So, but Paul is telling him there's things coming. Um, and the vital question is here, you know, he, he was basically telling him there's, there are men who are, are not going to stay the track. There are, there are men who are going to go off and do their own thing. There are men that are going to preach false doctrine. There are men that are going to do this. I mean, he, he was basically telling him, you need to make sure what you started, you better finish it. Full proof. Full proof man. That means finishing what you started, Timothy. He's like, and I'm warning you, here's what's coming. Because someday, you and those other men are going to stand before him. And they're going to have to answer to what they did. They're going to have to answer to the words they spoke. They're going to have to answer whether it was truth or whether it was false. <coughs> Where did they lead those people? Because that's going to be on their, it's going to be on their hands. That's one thing I've told you guys. As a pastor, you know, I've said, like, your blood is on my hands. The responsibility of a teacher and a preacher is what I preach to you. It better be truth. That's why I can't just get up and say, you know, flip through the Bible on a Sunday morning and be like, eh, yeah, I'll preach that today, and I hope I get it right. No. I have to study it out. I have to make sure that what I bring you is truth because I have to stand someday and give account for you. I do. It's on me. But that's the responsibility that I'm willing to take on because I want to be one of those ones that I, I'm determined that I'm going to stay the course. And no matter what comes, and I'm telling you, the world's getting crazy. The church is coming under persecution. And it is. But I, w I want to be able to stand for righteousness no matter what the cost is. Amen. You know, and what we face today is nothing to what they were facing back then. I mean, Paul was taken and had his head chopped off. So I'm doing good right now. <laughs> we're all good. You know, so, but Paul, Paul's he's challenging him. And then the vital question here at the bottom says, how is it not if these other men are making full proof of their ministry and fulfilling their most important priorities? That's not what he was worried about. That's not what he was telling Paul about. What, he, what Timothy about. Paul was asking Timothy and challenging Timothy, don't get caught up in what they're doing. And are they doing right? Are they fulfilling everything? Are they a foolproof you know, man in, in their life? Paul said, I'm not concerned about that. I'm asking you, Timothy. Are you going to be? And that's like tonight. I could say, you know, guys, we got to win the men of this city. You know, yes, we do. But they're not here tonight. I'm not asking them tonight. I'm asking you, the men of this church. You know, are we, and I'm including myself in this, are we foolproof in what we're doing for the kingdom? Are we giving 100% in 
and what we're doing. Um, you know, are we going to finish what we started? What God has allowed us to be a part of? Are we going to finish this? Are we going to finish the course? Because what, whether or not we do is going to affect, you know, are your decision tomorrow is going to affect possibly the eternity of those who are in your circle. Especially those in here who have little ones. I mean, Brother Brown, you could make a choice tomorrow and say, I'm done with church. I'm done with God. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not living this life. I want anything to do with it. I'm walking away. Well, guess what? There's a good chance. There's a good chance that Jonathan's going to follow. He's going to walk in those footsteps. One of the, one of the biggest things that ever hit me was is when um, we were living in Lancaster and I walked in my bedroom one, one day and Presley was standing there. He was just a little fella, just started walking. And I walked in and he was putting his feet in my shoes. And he, he took off, started walking. And it just hit me so hard. Yeah. Because I realized like, oh yeah, he wants to be in my shoes. He wants to be in daddy's shoes. So we have so much responsibility on us, you know, and I, I, I can't, I can't expect Brother Donald to get him to heaven. I can't put that all on Brother Donald. I can't expect our Sunday school teachers to teach them. That's the only time they're ever going to hear the word is just here on Sunday, Sunday, Sunday school. No, they need it. They need to hear it from us because ultimately they're looking to us more than they are anybody else. Not only hear, but see. They want to. They they see it. Absolutely, they see it. Yep. Uh, All right. So um, we're just going to. I'm going to share this story real quick, and then um, I don't know what time it is, but oh, it's not bad. All right. Um, so we're going to. I'm going to share a story with you. It's a lot of reading, but I, just for the context, I want to share it. Um, this is about Sir Ernest Shackleton. Maybe some of you have actually heard this before. Um, it says on the eve of the 20, uh, 20th century, many European nations were racing to be the first to cross the Antarctic continent. And at the time, the exploration of the Antarctica of Antarctica was viewed as the ultimate measure of a person's mental and physical capabilities. One writer described it as a symbol of man's hardest battle against nature, a place where temperatures so, were so low that many could actually hear the water freeze. In an age of exploration, a British sailor named Ernest Shackleton led an expedition of 28 men and attempted the first overland crossing of the, uh, of the Antarctic continent. The expedition ship set sail in August 1914 and made its way uh, to South, the South Georgia Island and eventually to the Antarctic Circle where it plowed through hundreds of miles of ice-encrusted waters. The name of the ship carried the crew <coughs> um, was Endurance, based on Shackleton's family motto, By Endurance We Shall Conquer. Losing their ship before it uh, ever touched the Antarctic continent, the expedition was deemed a failure. Though they were never able to cross the continent, the expedition of Shackleton and his crew became a testimony of survival in the worst of circumstances. At a time when the polar exploration was uh, littered with dead bodies, disaster, mutiny, and even cannibalism, Shackleton's crew returned in good health and in good spirits. Forty-four days after departing from South Georgia Island, the Endurance was trapped by a pack of ice, a full day's journey from the, from, uh, the intended landing site. 
For nine months, Shackleton and his crew lived in a below zero temperatures as the current drove the pack ice across the frigid sea. <coughs> Uh, to preserve moral or to keep the crew uh, to, to, to preserve morale and to keep the crew occupied, Shackleton established daily routines and assigned each man a well-defined task. When the ship was crushed by the ice and they had set out on foot and eventually by boat, every member of the crew was reminded of his contribution to the survival of the group. In April 1916, after drifting into three after drifting in three small lifeboats, the men arrived at a snow-covered island. With the dire living conditions in mind, Shackleton and five men left the others and set out on an 800-mile sea voyage voyage in a 22-and-a-half-foot boat. That sounds like fun. Uh, Shackleton promised to find help and to return. Nearly a month later, the group arrived at a larger island and then embarked on a grueling uh, uh, (laughs) 36-hour hike to reach a whaling station. Keeping uh, his word, Shackleton acquired assistance and returned to rescue the rest of the men. The crew had survived for two years, stranded 1,200 miles from civilization with no means of communication on a diet of pigeons, dogs, and seals in the frigid darkness of of the long polar nights in one of the most brutal seas in the entire world. When researching the saga of the the endurance nearly 60 years later, an interviewer asked First Officer uh, Lionel Greenstreet, they asked, how did you survive when so many expeditions perished? The stricken 82-year-old man answered in one word. He said, Shackleton. One man is the reason they survived. One man who said, I started this and we're going to finish it. It didn't go the way I planned. <laughs> Anybody here, life did not go the way you planned? Oh, yeah. It didn't go the way you planned. It didn't go the way that he had planned. But he said, I'm going to finish strong. We're going to make this happen. So how you live your life will either encourage those around you to keep fighting or it will encourage them to simply give up. You matter. It matters, the life that you live. So I want to go over these uh, six points real quick. Yeah, you have them on your papers. So studying the life and the legacy of, of Ernest Shackleton, we discovered six critical points on the path of uh, being, becoming a noble, of noble manhood. Uh, critical point number one, a man's role <coughs> is to cultivate, care for, and to instill confidence in his followers. So the men who uh, composed the expedition had a range of uh, temperaments, personalities, technical skills, including medicine, navigation, carpentry, photography. Uh, The team was diverse in social class, ranging from university professors to fishermen. The crew contained uh, one stowaway, a young man named Pierce uh, Blackborough. Despite these differences, Shackleton united them under the banner of a single single mission in time. Even Blackborough, the uh, the young man, became a fully integrated member of the crew. So I look at that here. We have anybody in here have and this is not. Please don't take this wrong. I'm just just to kind of point out anybody in here that you have a college degree. You worked hard for it. <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> I know you did. Um, Ryan, what's yours then? 
Uh, engineering. Engineering. All right. Brother Matt? Uh, human services council. All right. Brother Ben? Science programming. Science programming. Um, minds and religion. Go figure. Um, <laughs> but th- this is not to say, and this is just the point I'm making, this is not to say that because, you know, we have a college degree that everybody else in here can't do anything for the church. No, because there are things you can do. I'm lost. Put me on a heavy machine, and I'm probably going to tear something down or kill somebody. <laughs> All right? Ask Brother Tim. He, <laughs> Brother Tim. Brother Tim has watched me on a backhoe. Ooh. It wasn't good, was it? First time. <laughs> 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 I about threw myself <laughs> out of it. <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't great, but I mean, it's it's that's not my skill set. It's not. I mean, it's not it's not the you know, what God has blessed me with. Um, but there are other people in this room. I mean, nobody can run sound like this guy right here. I mean, he proved that on Sunday to set up that whole system to sound like he did. I mean, how incredible is that? Um, you know, you go around look at the look at some of the paint done in the basement and around the the, the church where the Mark did a phenomenal job. Um, I mean, there's so many different things that you know that you everyone in here can do better than everybody else because God has gifted you to do that. But it's the same thing here with His crew. You look at this to cultivate, to care for, to instill confidence in those followers and those who are following. And, and, and I, I hope that I, as a pastor, that I do that uh, as I lead this group of men in this church, that you matter and what you have to offer is just as important as anybody else. Doesn't, doesn't matter what, if you have a degree or you don't have a piece of paper, that means you're probably not as much debt as we are. So, unless it all gets forgiven, I don't know what's going to happen there. We'll move on. We'll move on from that conversation. Hallelujah. That's why I said, I said, you know, maybe we can just take out a huge loan for the new church and then we will identify it. We'll have the loan identified as a college loan and then it will just be gone. So we'll be good. There you go. We all just do that. There you go. See? Get yourself in trouble. Yeah, Yes. Yes. As we are just having some fun tonight. Uh, we're just we're just joking. Uh, critical point number two: A man must live for the people in his boat, not himself. That's good. Live for the people in your boat, not just yourself. Um, so, though we may not serve on a ship lost in the frigid seas, in, in Antarctica, hallelujah, we do lead our families, our churches, our businesses, and our homes. We each have a circle of influence. We all have people who look to us for emotional or spiritual direction. Um, and I, I just drive that point home again. Yes, you say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. doesn't matter. You, you have people in your life that are looking to you for emotional and spiritual direction every day. If you're a husband, you must understand that your wife uh, is in your boat and that she looks to you for emotional and spiritual direction. If you're a father, know for certain that your children view you as a foundational figure in their lives. 
whether positive, negative, or somewhere in between. I, have, I, I said this years ago. Um, this thought just came to me that leaders, leaders lead all the time, no matter what. They teach all the time, even when they're messing up. They're either teaching how to do things or they teach how not to do things. Okay? So be careful what you say, what you do. Uh, if you lead in your church or business or work environment, people in your circle are waiting on you to rise, to unite them under a singular banner and to call them forward. Uh, critical point number three, the path to manhood begins when we embrace the responsibility to lead. You are called to lead. Not to follow, but to lead as well. Uh, in a society built on self-centeredness, self-fulfillment, um, self-sufficiency, men must live for the betterment and the cultivation of the people who have been placed in their boats. Uh, even if this means taking a lesser role with lesser income or lesser public recognition, we must at times be willing to surrender personal, <coughs> personal benefit for the benefit of others. Uh, critical point number four. Uh, we, if we are to live as noble men, we cannot bypass the call to self-sacrifice. Um, as we look at the, the example of Ernest Shackleton, uh, we see a man who put the needs of his men above, uh, above his own needs. And when, the, and when the count of sleeping bags ran low, the Shackleton and his officers gave the men under them in rank priority in choosing the wool bags. Uh, in, this, in his journal of experience, Thomas uh, Orday Lees, um, the choosing of wool bags uh, in his, I'm sorry, uh, recounted that when one sailor lost his mittens, Shackleton put the needs of the man above his own. Um, so there are going to be times that sacrifice, I, I especially believe that this is going to come in place for an individual or a man who is a Christian, godly man, that there are times that we're going to have to sacrifice our own wants and needs to help out those around us. Uh, there are going to be times you're going to have to make decisions. I know, I know individuals that have, uh, I know men who have left a certain job because the certain job kept them away from home too much and it was affecting their family. And they took a pay cut to go take a job so they could be at home more. To me, that's a, that's a, a man of God. When you recognize those I'm leading, those I'm leading are suffering because of this. So, Maybe you can't buy them what you used to. But I promise you, ask any kid or any wife. <laughs> they would rather have you home. They want you more than they want those things. Those things fade away. But you cannot replace you. So sometimes we might see the sacrifice, but they, they, they're looking at, looking at it as you are being a leader at that moment in their life and you're setting a precedence in their life of this is what it looks like to lead this is what it looks like to put god first put family first put those things he's placing us first uh, critical point number five the decisions of a man must not be driven by his own personal ambition so when a husband begins to believe that the role of a wife is to simply satisfy his needs to bow to his every whim and fancy and to submit to his leadership without question, he creates in his marriage a framework, a framework of manipulation and control. Um, what was that, Brother Bob? And failure. And failure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, and might, maybe not, I might not agree with this. 
I know I know a lot of guys probably wouldn't agree with this, but there's that saying, and I, I just don't I don't care for it. This is just personal opinion. This is not biblical, okay? Where you hear that saying, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> to, to me, you know, a happy wife is a wife who doesn't have to question whether or not she's loved. She doesn't have to get away all the time. Preach. And if she's asking you to do things that is not biblically sound or not of God, then it is your responsibility to say no. We're not doing that as a family. Right? Um, so to me, that's, what I, that's the way I've I viewed it. And, and Sister Bean and I had this conversation a long time ago. And I told her, I said, I feel like I'm doing my job and you'll be happy as long as you never have to question whether or not I love you. If I love you, I'll take care of you. Yeah. You know, and, and I believe she's happy. I mean, 18 years later, I mean, she's still here, so. Um, yeah. Um, but I think that that creates a happy wife, which creates a happy life for, for both of you. Um, it really does. Absolutely, yes. Both ways. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so look, let's So when a father is present physically but absent emotionally, uh, he breeds insecurity in his children. Um, and maybe, maybe you don't, maybe you don't struggle with this. I just know that culture is struggling with this across the board right now. Um, and I just want to challenge men. I, I challenge myself this as well. Um, that when you're home, to be present and um, put this little device away um, when you're home um, with your wife or your kids um, because, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm faithful. I'm, I'm not cheating on my wife. You know, I'm faithful. To my, you know, I'm not ignoring my kids. You know, it's easy because this is just a part of nature anymore. Uh, everyone is on their phones all the time, all the time. My was actually asked me to get on the phone. Yes. That me up. Yes. And, uh, you know, and, I, and, and I'll tell you, it, it hit me, um, it was probably a couple months ago, and Hudson said, Daddy, will you come lay down with me? He was trying to go to sleep. And I said, yeah, bud. And I came in and laid down next to him, and, and he was really quiet. And text message came through, but it was like 9.30 at night, which I typically don't answer stuff after 9 unless someone's dying. Um <laughs> But I just it was there, so I just grabbed it and looked at it. And uh, Hudson just looked, rolled over, and he said, Daddy. I said, what? He goes, I'm right here. Why are you on your phone? Mm. I'm like, you little punk. <laughs> why, do you have to, why do you have to be right? You know, uh, but he was right. He was right. And it, and it hit me because I'll never get that night back. I'll never get it back. And that's the reality. You know, there's a lot of stuff you never, once the moment passes, it's done. You don't get it back. Um, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, there's nothing more important than, you know, to be able to put that phone down. And they know, and I heard this taught, and um, this was John Maxwell taught in a leadership class. And um, he said, if you're a leader, in a, he was doing business, obviously. Um, but he said, if you're a leader... He said, when someone approaches you to talk to you, the most important thing you can do if you have your phone is set it somewhere away from you 
where they they understand and it's telling them that you're more you're more important than what's going on here right now. Sure. You have my full attention. Um, he said because he's seen so many leaders, I would try to have a conversation with somebody. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're not listening. Oh man, it's a pet peeve of mine now. When people, I'm like, I'll just stop talking and just stare until the person looks up. You can keep going. I'm like, nope. Because you're not listening. Right. You know what I mean? You don't, I don't have your full attention right now. You're, you're going to hear a little bit of what I'm saying. Uh, so I try to make sure that I, in my home, I try to make sure I do that. So I just kind of challenge everybody here to be present uh, because you don't get these days back. You don't. You know, and it's we, we don't want to be absent from what God has given us, anyways. Um, Brother Bob, are you going to share something? Yeah, you talk about this and says I'm right here. You taught him that, and by you teaching him that, yeah. he's going to have that foundation to build on. Yeah. And when you happen to forget, he'll remind you. Oh yes, he will. <laughs> yes, he has no problem with reminding me. Sometimes we need reminded. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, number six. Um, is people uh, will, will endure almost anything if they have a positive role model and a hopeful vision of the future. So it should be noted that before the departure of the endurance uh, expedition, uh, an advertisement ran in a London newspaper aimed at recruiting men for the task. This is what it said. It said men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, Long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. (laughs) But it says this, but honor and recognition in case of success. That's how he ended it. More than 5,000 men volunteered for that job. More than 5,000 men. So though he had, though he had a low um, ac- academic marks as a schoolboy, Shackleton earned the unfailing loyalty, loyalty of his men and bound them in a tight circle of brotherhood. He knew how to handle the naysayers and often separated the negative crew members from the rest of, the, of, of his men and assigned them to his tent. So if someone was causing a problem, they got assigned to be with him. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> he assigned fair duties to each man. After returning from the two-year disaster, um, Shackleton embarked once again to the Antarctic region for further expeditions. Amazingly, many of his men joined his effort and returned to the frigid temperatures, temperatures of the Antarctic Sea. So why would they venture back into the land of the ice-encrusted waters and polar, and polar nights? The answer is simple. Shackleton would be leading them. So it matters how we lead because people are going to want to follow us if we lead right and we love on them along the way. So we'll end with this tonight. The journey to foolproof manhood. Though Paul's charge to Timothy is far removed in time from the Ernest Shackleton's model of leadership, they both led men and accomplished uh, two primary goals. Longevity and cultivation of an enduring legacy. This was Paul's hope for Timothy. This was the fruit of Shackleton's leadership. This is the goal, should be the goal for every man. Uh, In society that is merging the roles of men and women, redefining marriage, undermining masculinity, and, um, and, 
and the tear down the family structure, the unit piece by piece, men must develop a healthy understanding of manhood. We have to understand who we are, who God sees us as. That's what matters. Amen. Not how the world sees us, but how does God see us? Living in a culture with so many conflicting agendas is much like an expedition to a strange and foreign land. And at times the environment feels hostile. So what do we do when we struggle to find our way? And how do we support our families when we feel lost ourselves? And where do we go when we find clarity about our faith, function, and future as men? So how do we endure when we are so often tempted to quit? Anybody ever felt like quitting? Yeah. Because there's a lot of times, that, and, and Sister B, I don't want to say it's just because she's my wife, but she did a phenomenal job on Father's Day when she spoke to the men of the church and told us, she told the men, you're valued. You're valued. We need you. Um, we don't hear that anymore. We're just, you know, men are told you're just, you know, big, dumb, big, dumb ogres who can't do anything right. Uh, and we need bossed around and we need told what to do or we won't, we won't know what to do. I mean, that's what society is trying to tell us. But that's not true. I mean, you, you go throw out scripture and you're going to see that God used men in a mighty way. Um, and God is still longing to do it today. So if, if you have ever asked the questions like these, that, um, then you join a company with every man who has ever lived. You are not alone. However, if we strive to fulfill our God-given assignments, preserve the lives of the people in our circle, and finish the course, we will discover that leaving a noble legacy is not so far out of reach. If you accept the challenge to live as biblical, strategic, and spiritual-led men, men, then let us continue the journey and become foolproof men. Let's finish the race. We have only just begun to lay a foundation of noble living and leadership. Um, just a reminder of what Paul said here in Second Timothy 2 and 7. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I think, how, how, do, we, how do we do this? How do we walk, how do we navigate the world we're in right now as men? Um, you keep the faith. You just keep walking. You just keep walking. Yeah. And that's it. It's the foundation. And we... Anything that you see is going to be built upon something. There has to be a foundation in order to build anything. So you look at it as you are, as the men of your home and of this church, we are laying a foundation of what we're going to build this future on. So, and this is not, please don't take this, I'm not, I'm not you know, bashing <coughs> previous um, Leadership or so like that, but anyone who was here will tell you that it wasn't in a great shape. The foundation had some big cracks in it. Um, it, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting from the get-go. Um, but I felt like the Lord had called me to come, you know, repair the the foundation and and possibly build a new foundation to build upon the future of the church. And it, it's the same thing that I look at it from a pastor's perspective that I want you to look at it as the same thing as a, a husband or, you know, or a, a father or, you know, just a man in general in the church that you are going to be laying a foundation to build your future upon, not only yours, 
but your family's future, your wife's future, your, your kids' future, your brother's futures in the church. We determine what the future of this church is going to be. Amen. We do. We can tear it down or we can help build it up. And we have to be godly men in order to do that. Amen. Anybody have any thoughts you want to share with the class before we go? If the Lord spoke anything to you, maybe throughout the lesson, if you had a thought, you want to shoot something at us? Well, if you're following after what the world's doing, you're doing wrong. Absolutely. It's confusion. Yeah. And God is not the author of confusion. Yeah. And God knows what He wants us to do. Yeah. And we just need to do it. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. I think down there, we all know, we know who we are. You know what God's called you to be. And it's just simply. Um, starting it, and and I and I like how everyone was so honest earlier. You know that we're not all doing what we probably should be doing. We're not reading like we should be reading. <coughs> we're not praying like we should be praying. Um, you know, w- one of the one of the greatest things you can do in a journey is the first step. Yeah. It's the first step. Don't give in to fear. It's the first step. You know, uh, you can talk yourself out of stuff. Yeah. 